So if you if you told me after coming back doing you know squatting and pulling in the mid five hundred and barely bench three hundred, July of two thousand fifteen, less than two years later, those type of numbers, being a raw guy and also being older, I said you're smoking something. Welcome to the Bar Band Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barband.com. Today, I'm talking to powerlifting legend David Ricks. David has been in the sport for nearly 40 years, with a competition history dating all the way back to 1981. Throughout that time, he's won numerous national, world, and invitational championships, earning him the nickname Superman. After a brief hiatus in the sport in the mid-2010s, David came roaring back to compete at a high level in his late 50s. And in 2017, at 58 years old, he broke an open world record in the squat, sinking 325 kilograms at the Arnold Sports Festival. Now 61 years old, Ricks is still competing and often winning against lifters of all ages. We discuss his training mindset and some serious wisdom after an unparalleled career in the sport of powerlifting. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. David Ricks, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited about this. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, so I might be a little a little biased and not able to take that journalistic perspective. But I got to ask, how's training going these days? You're looking really strong. How are you feeling? I uh, I got really spun out, trained up for that thing in Colorado for lifting for charity, and so now I'm doing a little downtime and uh, let the body rest a little bit, and uh, probably work on some you know supporting muscles and some you know, uh, uh, stretching and, 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 and uh, flexibility movements, but still do some lifting, but not as heavy as if I was training for me. So, so you have to do that type of, you know, alternate type of uh, maintenance cycle, let the body rest and recover, and then give yourself a new goal and see what happens. Now, for folks who might not be familiar, how long have you been competing in the sport of powerlifting? Because that's important to note here, and you're still at the highest level. That, that's, that, that, I'm talking about, I answer that question, it scares me. I've been doing this almost 40 years. I started uh, I started training for powerlifting almost uh, 40 years ago at the Naval Academy. The fall of my senior year, it was uh, 1980. I just finished you know, playing lightweight football and I had some freedom in my schedule and they said, hey, won't you try the sport of powerlifting? They started a powerlifting club and I knew nothing about the sport. And the fall of 1980, that's when I started and qualified at a local meet in Maryland. And that first meet, I was weighing 165. I think I, um, I squatted, you know, up a fours and, and pulled somewhere five and bench pretty 300. And I qualified for the Collegiate Nationals, which was spring of that year, uh, 1981, in Kunstown, Pennsylvania, and took third in uh, uh, the Collegiate Nationals. And that's how I started. But it's... But to think about it, it's been 40 years when I started this. So if you told me that 
that I'd be doing this 40 years past this point, I said, you'd be smoking something. I, I wouldn't have a dream or envision that I'd be moving weights uh, 40 years at this point, especially as a raw left, but that, that's wholly in another conversation. <laughs> what do you think have been the keys to your longevity in the sport? I think, I think a couple of things. One is how to train smarter. Uh, when I started, uh, the type of training was, you know, I had the guy who was our coach. He was a SEAL team. He was a guy who worked with the SEAL team. He was a SEAL team uh, officer. His theory was go heavy, go off. <laughs> and so when you're young and you have, your recovery is high, you, you don't know you're overtraining. And so that's how I started. But uh, after I graduated from the Educare, I started training by myself. I realized I just I didn't have the stamina to do that, so I started doing have a light day and heavy day just because of my own limitations. And then later on, probably mid mid twenty, I found someone uh, in California, a chiropractor Jerry Mullen. He's actually in Cincinnati now, but he showed me how to do periodization, how you train over a longer period of time, and you back down the the percentages, but but you add more weight, you add more repetitions allow you to do more volume at a lower weight and and the body recovered so that when you get to the heavier weights you're able to push back through the barriers uh so that's another thing the other the, the other next step was supplements in terms of training as a natural athlete i'm a lifetime natural athlete uh, and in regards everyone has their own choice of what they do in terms of in terms of what they do for training and supplements but uh because i'm being a military building military option you basically have to set the standard and so I never thought about taking anything else. I said, I'm here just to help be healthy and have fun. And so supplements, when they started really become, to become more prevalent, I started taking them. And I realized for a natural athlete, it really helps me, especially when you're talking about training, you know, four or five, you know, six, eight, eight, six to ten weeks. After the fourth or fifth week as a natural athlete, uh, you're, with you, the way you're pushing your body, it's like a NASCAR engine. When you're pushing your body like that, you want to be on a NASCAR circuit. You need to put the right fuel in your body. And so a balanced diet kind of gets you around the block. But if you really want to be on the high-performance track, then you need supplements to kind of give you that delta, the, uh, that extra recovery and some other things to keep the high performance. And so uh, every time I get into a, a performance cycle, I'm into taking supplements because that's the only way I can really push myself on a longer training cycle. If I just train to stay in shape, I probably no big deal. Probably not know the need for supplements, but if you still want to train at a high level and start pushing your body to be an elite athlete, I will. I highly, I'm highly a believer in supplements. I take about eight to ten, eight to ten supplements uh, when I train. You know, for weight protein, A complex, I mean B complex, C complex. Um, uh, see, uh, uh, amino, uh, branched aminos. Uh, what else? Uh, omega three. Turmeric for your joints, also glucosamine for your joints. Um, yeah, there's a couple more, but, but I take about eight to ten supplements when I train. Let's talk about training volume. How has training volume changed over the course of your career for you? And what does your training volume look like today when you're heading into a peaking cycle for a competition? Well, I I start with eights and then sets of eights and then sets of fives and sets of threes. And so uh, when I was you know, when I was younger, in my 20s and early 30s, I would work to a top set of eight. But when I get into my fives, I'd try to do three sets of five, which is about 85%. Well, as I got into my you know, mid, mid, late 30s, 
through three sets of fives at 85%, was just really taxing my body. So just because of my limitations, I would only do a top set of five, 85%. And I thought, well, maybe I won't be able to compete at an elite level because I, I don't have the volume. But what I realized, even not doing that much volume at the 85%, your body still can, you still can make gains into the training. You have to be smart into the, how you choose your numbers uh, on that. And what I didn't realize is that even at a younger age, doing a three sets of five at 85%, when I was in my late 20s, I was probably overtraining a little bit, but it felt good doing it. I mean, when you get that third set of five, I mean, it was, you had to grind it out, but when you really get a pump, you do that. But in reality, um, you know, in hindsight, I'll probably do a little bit overtraining. But but because you, you felt good at it and you, you thought that was a great way to do that, that's how I kept going. And I know you're a big proponent of taking some time off basically. And, and, um, you know, you can't go from a performance cycle to competition straight back into performance cycle all the time. I think we were talking a little bit before this recording about how you take some time off to work on flexibility, mobility, accessories, you know, how long is your downtime post competition before you might start ramping up these days? Well, I mean, for the younger lifters, they like to do your probably competition every three or four months. And, and because you have a high recovery, you probably can do that. But as you get a little more older, you probably, I try to take, you know, after a major tournament, I really take about a couple weeks off. Really don't, I really hit the gym. I do a little bit, just kind of feel the weight, but I really let the body rest recover. And then that third week off, that's when I start getting into this, really do some really light stuff. And the whole idea, you have to think about it, besides you're pushing your body, you also, your central nervous system is really pushing the limit. And so when you're younger, you think, well, I could keep, you know, go into another cycle, or well, eventually that become you'll hit a point where that that going back to a major cycle becomes counterproductive. And you may not make any gains because your body has a chance to recover. And so um, I would say a unique case in point was when I took a year off in 2014-2015, and one of it wasn't, wasn't planned. It was this, this was uh, 2014, I did the Arnold, and, and I did, it was a quick and I had an okay, maybe not great. I had a great training cycle, but just wasn't, I didn't hit the numbers. And it was March 2014. And after that, in April, I took some time off because I just was beat up. And then I had a, you know, then by that summer, I had a job change, uh, which really dramatically affected, which is what I wanted to do. And then I left Atlanta and went to uh, Norfolk in December 2014. Uh, and then got accustomed to the job. And by springtime, I said, eh, maybe I got to a local commercial gym, got back in there and doing some real life stuff. And all of a sudden I got that bug again because I thought I was going to retire. And so uh, this was March 2014, so April, April, May time frame, I got the bug again. And I said, well, I, I'm not going to do the gear, you know, more gear because I, I didn't find a good power gym. I said, I'll just do the raw stuff because raw now, by then, was now up and coming. ESMP on raw. And so I need to find a good local meet. And so uh, Matt and Susie Gary, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're grateful. They had a gym in Maryland. just closed out recently. They moved to uh, Montana. but And they had a local meet for new lifters. So I called uh, Matt Gary up and said, could I you know, be a guest lifter? I don't want, I don't want to take any trophies. I'm just, a, I'm just an old guy who want to qualify. And uh, he said, yeah, sure, Dave. You, you can use this to qualify me. However... 
uh, you need to really push yourself, not just do token lifts. As a, I said, wait a second, Matt. Uh, I, you, know, you know who I am. And I just want to do a token lift so I can just qualify for the Masters. And yeah, Dave, but they know when they see your name on the register, they, they expect you to do something. I said, well, I haven't been, I been training for about two or three weeks. I only have about six weeks of training. So that's not my problem, uh, Dave. That's your problem. So you want to do this? So it, it, was, a, it was a joking contest. But it, it kind of put a um, a uh, bug in my ear, not bug, but a setup to really push myself. So within about five weeks of training, uh, I squatted. This is raw, five fifteen. I barely benched three hundred, and I pulled five fifty. So that was July of uh, two thousand fifteen. Now it's you know now I qualified for the uh, raw nationals, which is going to be in Pennsylvania. Uh, Steve Mann was the meet director. He puts on a great meet. And so I said, well, maybe I can get back in the game and compete in the Open. And I looked at the numbers that the guys in the Open last year, and I, I plugged in what training numbers I need to be competitive. I said, no, that ain't going to work. I need to kind of back it down and see what my body can do. So I was a little conservative. And so by that meet, I was in October, I squatted, uh, I was squatting over six, pulled over six, and I bent close to 400. And so, uh, so that was October 2015. Now you speed up to the um, to the uh, uh, World Championships, and this time it was in Clean, Texas, uh, the the Masters World. So it was a great opportunity to be in Texas. Um, and at that, and the training had gone very well. I was I was back in you know, really ripped. That's my third or fourth cycle. I was getting back in the scene. And I had the opportunity, which and, and on my third squat, break the open squat raw record. I couldn't believe it myself. Uh, and uh, that was just, and so, uh, and so that was spring of, um, that was June of 2016. Uh, now you go to um, almost nine months, ten months later, at the um, at the Arnold, where. I broke the record again on my second squat at the Arnold, the next squat at 680. And then I had one more squat left, and I put 325 on the bar. The only reason I pushed myself, because at the Arnold, uh, my parents live in Ohio, and they love to come see me lift. And so I really, you know, from my standpoint, it's an honor to, to be lifting from my parents who are still living. And so I put something on the bar that I never did before. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get that. And then, so that was that was, that was uh, March 2017. And then April, a month later, I had signed up for this. I didn't realize I was I was gonna I was gonna figure this out. I had committed myself sit almost four months prior to do this meet in Australia uh, at their Pacific Invitational, and I chipped the world record. And like, so if you if you told me after coming back doing you know squatting. And pulling in the mid 500 and barely bench 300, July of 2015, less than two years later, those type of numbers, being a raw guy and also being older, I said you're smoking something. I, there's no way I would have programmed and, and, and laid out a plan like that. There, there, there's no way in the world I would have never done that. And so I would say that you take every training cycle. When I, I take every training day a day at a time. And as I get underneath the bar, I consider each rep just like a brand new rep. And so versus trying to overthink this and try to overplan this. 
Well, I, I think it's an interesting perspective, and it goes to show that, especially in, in this sport, the sport of powerlifting, building strength, it takes time. And we get approached a lot. We get a lot of questions from uh, folks at, at Barbend, and we have millions of readers, and we're very fortunate to have them. And a lot of people will reach out and they'll say, I'm 30 years old. Is it too late to get into strength sports? I'm, <laughs> I'm 40 years old. Is there any way I should, should I start lifting? And I've actually pointed to you as an example before. We've written some articles on some of your accomplishments that you just talked about. And I've, yeah. I've said, well, you know, this guy's 58, 59, 60, and he's setting open world records. He's beating guys, he's beating 20-year-olds. So you tell me, is it too late? Because it takes some time, and you have to be patient. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, yeah, you have to think it as, as a marathon. And because the nature of social media, people want this instant success, instant, you know, gratification or instant, you know, performance effort. And it just isn't, it just doesn't work that way. And so you have to be humble and you just have to think about it as a step-by-step process and just, just work on simple games and, and methods and be very focused on the mechanics, be focused in terms of how you train and what exercise you can do. And no, everyone doesn't have, you know, uh, you know, all the equipment that they want, depending upon where you work at it, LA Fitness, whatever, or even a power gym, they may have the basic equipment, they may have all the support equipment. And so you have to uh, figure out your best way to enhance your performance. What exercise, you, you can't do all the exercises in the book if you look at all the, the we call the body strengthening exercises. There's not enough hours a day to do that. You know, we're, we're not college students where we can go three or four hours in the gym and just and have fun. A lot of us are professionals and we have families. And so you may only have 45 minutes to an hour to do what you got to do. And you got to be very uh, anal about how you're going to spend that effort. So you can't spend time checking on your phone and doing Instagram if you only got 45 minutes. Um, and so so you have to be very specific on your, your goals and also uh, make sure how you – and listen to your body. And sometimes you have some things with your body. You may have to get checked you with know, a chiropractor or a doctor or whatever – so that your body, you put your body in the right optimal position to to work out. And sometimes you, if you have an injury, you have to back off and listen to the body and let the body recover. Uh, I'll tell you, another person we'll get on here is uh, Tony Harris. He, uh, his, the injuries that he's had in the sport is truly almost a shock. And for him to still be an elite athlete after the things that he you know, had some back issues, had you know you know uh, you know upper thigh uh, you know uh, issues in terms of muscles and like that, and and uh, and he also came back to test the test for cancer, uh, which is amazing. And so at the meet that I broke the world record at the Arnold, he he was the next guy on the platform and he broke the open world record at his weight class. And so um, and uh, and so and, and as you look at it like. Like it's like another workout, but if you understood his journey, for him to be on the platform, the heading that amount of weight, you think is like that's you think I'm Superman. This guy is amazing. Well, that is your nickname in in certain powerlifting spheres. It's it's Superman, and I wasn't gonna. I, <laughs> I wasn't gonna lead. I wasn't gonna lead with this question, but but now that I got you trapped for a you know a half hour here, I gotta say, you know who was the first person to be like David Ricks, aka. Superman on the platform. I have to acknowledge that was uh, Matt Gary, uh, and I don't know why he did that, but uh, I don't know. He just he just um, 
and actually he uh he he did a video uh compiled some lists uh me and daughter some other things and because uh, i also worked at, at his uh gym one time and it was, it was a great video so but yeah he coined the term and uh, i didn't think too much about it and after a while it kind of stuck i said well, what the heck <laughs> Now, I mean, do you do you do you play that up? Have you worn the Superman shirt while while squatting? Do you walk into the gym with a big S on your chest? No, I haven't done all that. No, 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 no. I just no, no, no. no. I, I haven't got to that that level. So uh, I'm just very humbled and honored just to be on the platform with all these young guys. So that's what keeps me motivated. So. <laughs> How is the sport? What are some of the ways the sport has changed over the course of your career? Now, if you look back, you know, 40 years to 1980, everything's changed since 1980. There's not a sport on the planet that's the same as it was in 19 in 1980. You know, like I can't I can't name one. But what are some of the milestones that you remember over the course of the career when you thought to yourself, oh, the sport is changing? Well, in terms of how information is 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 uh, gathered, I mean, Carlton USA was the magazine and you wait for that month you look at the magazine to see the meet results uh and if you if you did a meet when that you picked you got it when that you was in that you know your meet results and you look at the workout of the month and the top 100 by that weight class i mean those are you wait to see if you was in that group to see if you and so how and now it's almost very social media uh in terms of electronic media and so the aspect of how people able to gain knowledge of the sport it's almost gone through the roof, and so now you can actually get information in terms of to who does what via you know the social media, and then you can converse with top people in the sport directly. I never did. I never talked to one anyone uh, in that sport until I was on the team with somebody. First time I met Ed Cohen was I was on the national team with him, and then I looked and said, "That's that's the guy." I mean, in my first world championship at Ed Cohen, at Gene Bell, Celeste Anderson. Um, oh gosh, Dan Austin, and I said to myself, these are guys I read about, uh, and they're here. And so, uh, but the ability to connect with people, that is huge. But I think the other the other aspect is this raw lifting in terms of how that has evolved. And raw used to be, well, folks who can't lift here can do raw, and they were just kind of like a, it started like in 2012, 11, to the USAPL, and and so just on a small group was doing it. Now, you know, especially USAPL, most of the lifters are raw. If you go to a local meet, 90% of the lifters are raw. And so, uh, you know, gear lifter still has a place. But, uh, but the explosion of raw lifting is truly amazing. And what you have now is athletes from other sports getting into powerlifting. And because they already got the mental aspect of how to train, they adapt to raw lifting almost like it's like a second nature. And... So that the other aspect is just masters in terms of masters lifters actually being competitive and 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 they want to also compete you know well beyond people say they retire. It used to be that when you got to forty, they think well he ain't got that much time left, and so why is he still here? Because he can't do anything. Well, I think forty is a new thirty, and then have someone in the fifty still be competitive, uh, you, you push the envelope. And then you get a guy like me and says, wait a second, he's 60 and he's on the, uh, and he's competing in the open group. What, what, what's he doing here? And so, <laughs> uh, but I think the, the information age in terms of the ability 
to, to find ways to train. So you can, you can have a home gym and you can have a coach by video link. Basically, you can get most of your information, your technique, and, and support from that area. Uh, whereas without that, you know, you'd be almost, you had to go to a, you know, a power gym to kind of figure that out. And so that, I'll say the information age in terms of how you can gather information, you can kind of basically uh, develop experience in a sport. But the raw lifting, because it, it's, it's so prevalent now, that you don't need, you can basically do that with very little, you know, very little cost. And you can do some of that. We had a commercial gym because you can do most of the exercise without, you know, any specialized equipment. Now, if you get into, of course, equipment, that's a whole different story. But the, the raw lifting and, and the, the, the caliber athletes in the raw area, it just off the planet. I mean, it just is amazing. I'm calling it now. If 40 is the new 30, 50 is still 50, 60 is the new 20. You go back down a decade after that. Yeah. Yeah, but if you'd have told me that A61, that, that I'll fly halfway you know, fly to Colorado and do three reps of 705, like, yeah, right. What? They, they, they can't be 45. They can't be kilo. They don't got to be pound plate. There's no way to. guy 61 be doing that amount of weight. <laughs> well, how are you? I mean, you know, it's a, you said. You said it yourself. You take every training cycle one by one. You take every session, every rep, one by one. But how are you? How are you feeling now? And do you still think that at your body weight category, you've got a little bit of strength to build in some of the lifts? Yeah, I mean, it, the uh, you know when they canceled the nationals, because I was going to train for the nationals, like everyone was, and so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was kind of like doing a mini cycle, then then doing a regular you know long cycle for the nationals. And so this list, you know, list for charity uh, gave me gave me a goal to set, and so I put that out there. When Bryce said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "Well, I uh, I can do some reps for squat." I wasn't sure what the number, what, how much weight I was going to do, uh, but he put a picture out there with me and somebody else and doing reps of seven hundred. So, oh, he put that out there. I, I can't I can't go out there and do five hundred. I got to do something. So so it gave me a goal to train for. Uh, but it, it focused my training to see, well, if I'm going to be, a, if I'm going to put that on the bar, here are the uh, markers I need to do four or five weeks, you know, you know, five weeks out. And every week I set a goal in terms of what I want to do. So the week before I did that at the Colorado, I hit 672 for a triple. I had to work it. I mean, it was hard. And so I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I got to Colorado. I had to play it by ear. But I knew I was somewhere in the neighborhood. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> who are some lifters over the course of your career who have, who you've either looked up to or you've looked to as really good ambassadors for the sport of powerlifting? Well, I mean, of course, Jen Thompson, she, she's truly amazing in terms of what she's done uh, and, and, and just, just alike. Uh, also, uh, Ben Austin, uh, uh, he's a coach, he's a strength coach at, here in South Carolina, he's still there, but his lifts at when you know, especially when at early in his career, was just truly amazing. Uh, and he was he was a standard in terms of deadlift, and so that that's just truly remarkable. Um, uh, some other situations. Um, uh, the gentleman that uh, uh, she pulls eight hundred eight hundred pounds so many times, uh, super heavyweight. Uh, he's a, Master Sky now. Oh my gosh, I'm having a brain fart now. 
Oh, it's it's okay. There are a lot. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of great powerlifters you've lifted with or, or lifted around over your career. Uh, I there is, and I, I don't want to slight anyone, but but the, the, I guess the fascinating part of the sport uh, is that you meet a whole lot, a cadre of folks, and each of them are, have their unique specialty or gifts, and you look at them like, oh, that's amazing, and you just can sit back and just you just want to sit back and just kind of just just kind of. Be, be in the presence. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, uh, David Ricks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where is the best place for people to follow uh, your training and what you're up to on social media? Well, it's, I'm on Instagram. is uh, david.ricks. Um, that's about the best place to find me, Sam. Um, and you know, I, I train, I'm here in South Florida in the uh, Wooden Barbell Center. And there is a great place to train. They have some great equipment. They've got, you know, regular pound bars and also pound equipment. They also have kilo place for uh, whatever you want to do. Great deadlift and squat platforms uh, to, to train at. So I'm pretty fortunate to uh, to have a great facility. I mean, without that, there's no way I've been been doing this you know, since I've been in Florida. But uh, when you when I had when I got down here, uh, met I met the owner, and I said, "Shit, this is not too bad." I said, "Maybe I." If I can continue my training, and that's that's what what I've been doing. So uh, I think that's one one key component in terms of people being um, energized in terms of generating sport, having good places to train. And so some people have their home gyms, and sometimes they bring people over to help them provide that. I I'm a, I have a the way I like to train. It's hard for me to train by myself. I just I need that that we call that community spirit. Uh, when you're pushing yourself, when you see other guys or ladies pushing yourself, it kind of gets you energized and gets you motivated to uh, set the game up. And so, uh, so especially when you start you know, training heavy and pushing your body to an, an elite level. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And excited to see uh, what you're up to next in the coming years. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. <laughs>